0: First package on the list today is Lensfun. This is an open source database of camera lenses or or rather of the characteristics of camera lenses of common camera lenses. So here's um the the, the slackware package list the project website is lensfun.sourceforge.net. You go there, it points you to their new home on GitHub. So that's lensfun.github.io or github.com slash lensfun. What is it? Well, it says, The goal of the Lens Fun library is to provide an open-source database of photographic lenses and their characteristics. That's what this is for. It's not just a database of camera lens names, though. What, what this is, is it's a database of camera lens characteristics, meaning there's this lens and therefore um, the curvature uh, of the of the image is uh, a certain, you know, it has a certain amount of curvature uh, around the edges, or maybe it it has a slight uh, fisheye effect, you know, at the very center, or or whatever, you know, like different characteristics of, of what a photo would look like according to what kind of lens was used, to capture that image because lenses aren't perfect they they have they have irregularities they have um unique traits that that maybe are intentional, maybe not, whatever, this database identifies those. This is kind of in, an interesting project, too, because, um, it, it started out as an open-source database, and then the the author of that database, or the, the maintainer of it, or whatever, um, decided that they wanted to do this commercially instead, and closed, you know, and, and no, the database became, uh, it closed its doors, no longer an open source project. Well, it was open source, though. So people, some other group, the Lens Fund Group, took the database in its 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 final state, uh, just before going non-open, and um, continued using it, used that as the 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 base uh, for this new Lens Fund database. So that's kind of cool because um, it's just one of those times where the open source license has managed to preserve a really cool project that, for whatever reason, decided to discontinue. I think it's really easy as an open source enthusiast to to look at that kind of thing and, and sort of get a pretty judgy about it, you know, you you think, well, there was this great open source database, apparently, of these, of these lenses, and then the author decided to, 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 to not make it open source anymore, and that feels, I mean, it's inarguably a loss, that, that feels like a loss, it's a loss of data, it's a loss of, of contribution, and I'm not saying one way or the other that, oh, it's, fine that the person did that, or it's not fine, or or anything, I'm just, I'm just identifying the compulsion as an open source enthusiast to look at it and, and think, well, that, that's a shame, like, that, that feels like a betrayal, but in real life, you know, using, just sort of looking at things from an objective perspective, like, we don't, you know, nobody knows, like, I I don't know, I didn't research it, so I, I definitely don't know, but whatever, the person had to, had to stop this project, It turned commercial. I don't know why. Maybe the person needed to pay rent and that was the the best bet they had to, to make that happen. Whatever. Don't know. It's just really nice that the open source licenses codify that process, and when it goes smoothly, it is very nice that that transition happens. And again, I didn't do any research into this. I could be mischaracterizing all of this, but the fact that Lin's Fun still exists today indicates to me that there was a transition there from open source to not open source anymore, fork of the open source to a new open source project. And I think like, no matter where you stand on open source and closed source and commercial versus non-commercial and that sort of thing, I think that's a, it's, it's a, like, half the battle is communication and, and expectation. This was open source at one point. It is no longer open source, so we're going to fork this project. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. And in fact, the, the project lin's Fun even specifically thanks P.T., PT Lens, I, I guess that was the the project before Lens Fund. Um... Thanks the author for for allowing this this fork to occur again I don't know what the licensing for uh, the licensing was or or anything like that But I think that that when this kind of thing happens It is nice to know that an open source license can be Invoked to make this transition of data Smooth and you know fair quote-unquote around fair because who knows what that means, but it's fair this person had a database. Other people probably contributed to it. This person decided to close that database. Everyone gets to walk away from that experience with with the shared data, and they get to go in whatever direction they want to. The PT Lens guy could um, could could start selling copies of the database, or, or whatever, and Lens Fund could continue to develop the database in an open source state based on what had been collected up to that point that seems like a pretty fair starting point for both of those ventures one or the other may have run out of steam at some point lin's fund didn't uh, but it could have it didn't have it doesn't have to still be around but it is i just can't help but think that that's that's the process that, that's supposed to be happening here i mean like i say compulsion is oh it's a pity that that the open source thing went away but the reality is that the process worked. We still have Lens fun. So what's Lens fun actually used for? Well, um, I couldn't remember what Lens fun was actually used for, so I thought I remember seeing it in some KDE application, and sure enough, if you do an LDD on slash user slash bin slash digicam, which I... does that come with Slackware, or is that something I installed from... From um, Slack builds, that is a really good question. No, it comes with Slackware. Okay, so if you do an LDD on user bin DigiCam and cam is with a K, not a C, so D-I-G-I-K-A-M. Uh Oh, and then pipe that to grep lens fun, then you definitely see that li- lib lens fun is used in user lib64 lib lens fun. Oh that's yeah right uh, I forgot what I was looking at um so you you definitely see that Libs, lib lib lens fun is used in this in digicam that the output of ldd identifies lib Lins fun as a linked library uh to, to to back to you know digicam was compiled against uh, lib lens fun so that's at least one place where it was used i checked gwenview too cuz i had like this 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 notion that gwenview might use it as well but no it, it wasn't used Uh, In Gwenview. So if you if you're using Digicam or or if you have it installed, if you've installed it, uh, then you can launch it. If it's your first time launching, it's going to ask you what directory your photos are kept in by it defaults to pictures that's a logical default it's not where i keep my photographs pictures to me I, are pictures uh photographs are photographs so i keep mine in user clad2 or uh, slash home slash clat 2 slash photograph and in photograph i have a uh, different Directories of of things that I have photographed. So, for example, here are photos that I've taken at museums. Here are the uh, here are photos that I've I've taken uh, outside. You know, nature shots of like plants and mountains. Um, the 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 best bet. Usually, I find for testing, well, almost anything um, for photographs, but but definitely for this kind of thing, for the lens distortion. I mean, unless you have a picture that you just you you're looking at and you think that's that's weirdly distorted, like something's up, um uh, then then a portrait shot, something with a human face in it will very frequently be the thing that you want to look at simply because we all know what faces are supposed to look like. That's. That's why human faces and photos are so darned useful. It's a, we we look at so many faces all the time, and it is it's one of the dead giveaways when something is not quite right. We'll notice it in the face. So open up a portrait shot if you have one of somebody, and uh, go up to the enhance menu in Digicam. I mean, there's a there's a lot. I I start at the enhance menu, but I mean, there's 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 actually an editor in Digicam. That's the point. So I think I have mine set that if I click on an image, it opens it up in the Digicam Editor. But I think if if that's not your default setting, I think you can right-click on it and tell it to open in, in Editor, I think. I don't know, like I said, I have it set to open in Editor, so it's a little bit, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, maybe it's in an Edit menu or something, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm clicking on an uh, on a photo, opening it in the image editor, and it's not anywhere near like a GIMP or a Krita level photo editor, but it's a useful editor. I'd say it's it's more or less a Gwenview style editor. You know, you can do common things like red eye reduction, and uh, maybe you know you can apply a blur or correct colors or or apply some c- color correction that sort of thing you can also export it with a bunch of different formats i mean digicam is actually really really useful um if i were if i did more photographs i would probably use it well i would certainly use it a lot more and it's mostly menu driven so you're going to find things like import and export menus you find tools menu uh effects menus decorate menu I never even use that transform for like rotating and flipping and uh cropping and auto cropping and resizing uh and then enhance and that's that's kind of that's where i started just now because that's where the lens auto correction selection is so you can go down to lens auto correction and over on the right side of digicam a lens auto correction doc docker dialog uh, dialog box or window whatever palette opens up in the side panel there of the application and this is this is the lens auto correction panel so all of its all of the selections here apply to exactly this process. The first thing I do, typically, is show grid. That's the, that's the selection to just give you, literally, a grid over the photograph, so that you can kind of see how things... You know, with... with If there's no grid, then when something shifts, you, you, you sometimes can sublimate it, because you don't... So you're not offsetting that shift by anything, whereas if there's a grid, we... our our brains tend to notice movement within each space, so it just, for me, it makes it more obvious. So I'm showing the grid, and that's just got a little overlay, and then you can choose the Make the model and the lens that you used to make that photograph, to take that photograph, um, you may not have that information. Some photos have it in their metadata, some don't. It just—it really depends on where that photograph came from, how you took it, how it's been saved and resaved and processed. So it really just kind of depends. But uh, maybe you know your camera. Maybe you know exactly what you took this photograph with. In that case, you can choose the make. Also, I'll choose Canon. This wasn't that Actually my camera, but uh, I happen to know which camera it was because I-, I borrowed it. Uh, it was an Canon EOS Rebel. And actually, I don't remember what kind of Rebel it is, so I'm just gonna make something up. Let's say that it's a T2i. It probably wasn't, but let's say it was. And then the lens that was being used. Um, I actually don't know which lens it was. That's kind of really, really essential. I mean, I know it was like something like a 50, a 52... It might... it may have been a prime. A 50 prime. Yeah, here's 50 millimeter prime lenses. Prime meaning it's... you can't zoom in and out with the lens. The lens is fixed. Um so this is a 50 millimeter. Let's just pretend like it's f1.8. I don't think it was actually probably that that good. Probably more like here's here's one. Here's a 50 millimeter 2.5. It says it's a compact micro lens, whatever. Okay, so selected that. Could you know making things up here. Um, I can do a focal length adjustment in it doesn't say what oh in millimeters. That's in millimeters. So I can adjust that by some Level uh, there's an aperture setting. We oh okay so it it starts. It looks like it's fully. It's weird. The slider kind of lies to you. So click around before before you're convinced that things are what they should be. Um all right. I'm gonna set it down to like three ish. Let's call it three ish. Uh, and then actually you know what? Let's call it an even four. It's better. It's more realistic. Uh, and then let's do subject distance. Uh, let's say that. The subject is about a meter away from the lens. And then, so once you have your settings dialed in, then you can do your lens correction to apply. And you can choose. There's In this case, there's Chromatic Aberration, which looks okay to me. I'm clicking it on and off and not seeing a difference, so I'm gonna leave it off. And then there's Distortion and Geometry. And I really was expecting something for distortion, but there is apparently no. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. So clicking distortion will f- frequently, if if there is something indeed to be corrected, that's usually the one that you'll s- you'll really see something different because that's that usually means like distorting the image, um, or you know, I guess you could think of it as undistorting the image because you're you're kind of taking these curves in the image and and smoothing them out like no you're not supposed to 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 taper upward uh horizon near the edge of the lens you're supposed to remain flat uh, because you know lenses are round and sometimes you'll get distortion on the around the edges so that is um how you could do that and then you would click OK which i'm not going to do because i don't actually want to apply made up corrections to an image that's perfectly fine but that's that's using lens fund all all that that information about the, the maker of the lens and the model of the lens and the, the 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 lens size all of that stuff is from lens fund because you know they've collected all that information they can detect common uh, aberrations i guess in lenses and how it might affect an image and then counteract it through various image effects and computations and that that could be really useful I mean it again it, it depends on the lens you know I mean like if you're perfectly happy with your photograph then I wouldn't worry about it um, and and if you don't feel like like Lensfun fun is giving you the results that you think are are necessary. Then don't hesitate to use to use your own judgment. You don't have to go through lenses to try to um, unfish eye something. You could just do a manual distort and and make it look correct to your eye. Remember, less is more. I mean, that's an important principle. But Lyn's fun is definitely, especially if you're if you've got a fo- if you've if you've got a series of images and you you recognize that that the lens has not been perfect for those images then lensfun can be a great way to to do a bulk or a quick uh, you know almost automated sort of process of of fixing common mistakes. So that's lens fun as seen through digicam. There are probably other applications that use lens fun and you could certainly use it yourself. After all, there is a lib lens fun, so if you're programming, you want something to to access common lens definitions and then counteract their effects or mimic their effects. Lens fun is there for you. Okay. The next one in the list after lens fun. Let's find out what it is together because I'm clicking Around as I speak. After Lens fun is libaio. This is the asynchronous I/O library. Now I don't have a whole lot of experience with this because I don't do this every day. So I'm I could get some of the details slightly fuzzy in terms of what belongs to what. But libaio basically asynchronous I/O in input output. The 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 two basic, sort of, syscalls for that kind of thing, for input-output, on, you know, on the file system level, or on the kernel level, really, are read and write. You can just type into a terminal, man read, Oh, that is not the correct one, okay, man, uh, man two, that's the man space, and then the number two, because this is in the, 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 the section, uh, two section of the man pages, man two, uh, read. There we go. Read from a file descriptor. And you could do the same thing with write. You could do a man to write and find out more about that. Those are the I and the O's the ins and the outs, the reads and the, or the, the in would be write, the out would be read, that would be io. Now, for... Uh, so so there's read, there's write, and then there's, uh, later came around p-read and p-write, and then even later there was p-read-v and p-write-v, all of those have man pages. You can read about them if you need to know about them, and there's probably more that I have not learned about, or, or that I'm forgetting. So, and, and that's just the... that's the Linux kernel, um, options. Now, there's also just the POSIX specification for that process, and, and either way, like, whatever you're looking at, that was, I guess, sufficient for a while, I'm assuming, I don't know, I, I have no feelings about this one way or the other, I don't, I don't deal with things on this low of a level, um, but presumably it was all right enough uh, for a while that, that people at least lived with it. And uh, the, there were, you know, there are limitations though. People recognize that there have been limitations. For instance, the async I/O process is supported just for direct access or unbuffered access. So if you want to read or write. With an intermediary sort of stopover in RAM, sorry, you can't do that asynchronously. You can do it when you're just direct reads, but you can't you can't stash bits and pieces away uh, to 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 look at later or or on the way over. Uh, there are problems, or there are things that some people don't love about the API, the way that you access these functions from within C or C++. So libAIO is the asynchronous implement, an asynchronous implementation that attempts to make it so that instead of uh, inputting and out, you know, doing the IO process just as sequentially as necessary async means that you can do it not at the same time you can do it or rather n- not not as a call and response type of thing you can do it asynchronously without synchronization is it the best solution possible for asynchronous input output read write type situations i, I guess i guess not because in 2019 yens uh, axbo axboe maybe axbo i mean not maybe, the spelling is correct, I I was saying maybe the... maybe the pronunciation, AXBOE. A-X-B-O-E is how you spell it. He's a software engineer, or was in 2019, I don't know what he's up to now. Uh, He was a software engineer at Facebook, and he has been... he was working on faster I.O. through something called I.O. underscore U-Ring. And through several different sort of demonstrations and talks, he has demonstrated that this is probably the options. So if you are running, I think kernel, I think 5.1 or later, what am I running? 5.15.38, personally, you might be running something more recent. Uh, You might just be running whatever Slackware shipped with initially, I don't know. Whatever it is, if it's 5, I'm pretty sure it's 5.1 or greater, then you might be using or or well, yeah, the kernel it probably has shipped with uh, iO underscore u ring, and some things might be using that. Now it, it depends, I think, I think it depends on the file system. I could be misremembering about that. Um, it could depend on the file file system. It could uh, depend on you know what the application is using. Like if you're if you're using something that has been compiled against libaio for some reason, then and then it, then it's making that API call. Then that's you know that's what it's going to be using. So quite possibly the fact that io underscore u ring exists doesn't actually impact what you're actually experiencing right now today on your on your system but the fact is that it's it is developing a lot of different companies um like Intel and apparently Facebook uh, they're working on I, I would imagine well maybe not yeah anyway they're working on um on improving this this process and it it's not it's not about from what i understand again if i feel like i could speak authoritatively on this if i actually did this kind of thing and saw the problems for myself but i don't and and i don't so I don't have any actual insight, and so maybe that's all I'll say, actually. I was gonna I was gonna theorize about something, but um, lacking any kind of information on whether that's correct or not, uh, I don't see the point. Uh, there are a lot of great papers on this subject, though, especially around that 2019 Yens Axpo um, presentation, so that's something to check out if you're interested in this kind of thing, if you're curious about where Linux is headed. For for asynchronous I/O, then that might be something to to take a look at. Then I'll try to remember to link to some resource in the show notes. But you can also just just look around. It's pretty pretty um, well known at this point. I/O underscore u-ring. That's uh, I/O underscore u, the letter u, r i n g. That's the the latest and greatest asynchronous I/O solution for Linux. And I mean it. it It's supposed to make real, you know, actual, real, real improvements, like substantial improvements. All right, let's talk about libao. That's audio output library. I've already talked about lame a lot in the previous episode. I'm not gonna go into the same kind of depth here. I mean, not that this is even an encoder, but libao is a cross-platform audio library. It's required by applications and libraries that use audio, such as Aug123, or AugVorbis, um, or or other things. Um, and it provides plugins for OSS, ESD, ARTS, I, I, don't, I, I vaguely remember hearing about ARTS, and ALSA. You need to install the supporting libraries for any plugins that you want to use. This is a... it's a C library. I mean, it gives you direct, um, you know, really easy access to audio, Outputs. There's a pretty good example program in the uh, package called, uh, I think, a, no, um, fi, um, yeah, no, okay, ao underscore example dot c. It's in user doc lib ao dash one dot two dot two or whatever it is. Uh, so if you look in there you'll find AO underscore example C, you can take a look at it, and I think you get the idea of what it does pretty quickly, honestly. I mean, it does things like, well I mean first of all it includes AO, AO and then it sets some things like format, bits 16, format channels 2, so it's gonna be stereo, format rate 44 100, so it's gonna be CD quality, device equals AO underscore open underscore live, parentheses default underscore driver comma and format comma null close parentheses close semicolon. um so you know I mean it it it's doing it's 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 setting up devices. it's it's opening devices by invoking lib aO. this is all stuff that you don't have to figure out because, there's a library to do it for you. This is, uh, this is really sort of significant, um, this kind of interaction for programmers, because without these libraries, you, you can have devices on your system, and you would not be able, you, you would be able to maybe access them, but you wouldn't know what to say to them or you wouldn't know how to interpret what they're saying back to you. So the fact that these kinds of libraries exist is kind of a big deal for for a programmer because th- that means n- now a programmer writing in C can they don't have to think about that device they can just they can just think i need a device a sound device or i need to get a list of sound devices and then i'll let the chooser the, the user choose one and then i can out- output sound to it or, or whatever now whether lib AO is actually something that's super useful today? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it, it could be. I, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people are going to be just writing to some some sound server rather than, you know, certainly to directly to a device. So, I don't know how big of a deal LibAO is in 2023, but the library itself is important because it provides that interface. It it provides that that sort of SDK, if you will, to to access those devices. And it feels like it's time for a coffee break, so let's go get a cup of coffee, and we'll come back and finish up the show. Okay, I'm back. I've got my coffee. This is I, I've I've switched over for a little while to making my coffee in a plunger or or uh, a press. We say plunger here in New Zealand, which to my American ears, I think I've, I've told you this before. I hear that as a thing that you stick down the toilet or a sink when it gets backed up. It's it's very abrasive to my ears, but. People here call it a plunger, and so I'm calling it a plunger. But yes, in the US, people call it the uh, a press, a, a coffee press. So I have used a coffee press, a plunger, to make my coffee, and it tastes amazing! I... I go through you know sort of a cycle here of sort of forgetting that I have a certain option for a coffee, and I think I mean for the lo- for all winter in fact I forgot that I had a plunger. Really, I just I kept making it in either my stovetop espresso maker or my stovetop uh, percolator, and I was quite happy with it. Um, and then what for whatever reason yesterday I opened the the cabinet. Where I keep my coffee, and I look in, and I, I I noticed the plunger, and I thought, why don't I? I just want one coffee, one one cup of coffee right now. Why don't I use that? So I grabbed that, made a cup of coffee, and it tasted amazing. I mean, can it can it sparkle? Does coffee sparkle? I mean, it shouldn't, but that's kind of like if you. If you think about, sort of, what that what sparkle makes you think about, as long as it doesn't make you think of, like, a sparkling water or s- soda pop or anything like that, but it, it was just such a bright and uh, just happy and wide-open kind of revelatory flavor. It was really good, is what I'm trying to say. And this was just, you know, the same old beans as I've been having, so bomber again, but it just tasted amazing. So I've, I've really been enjoying my, my single-cup plunger coffee uh, lately, and I just figured I should let you know if you've got a coffee maker that you're forgetting about switch back to it You know after a month or two see see what it does because I mean it'll surprise you I think your your taste buds get acclimated and then you have to kind of like mix it up a little bit And when you do it's exciting alright, so the next one in the list here is uh, lib of course. App indicator. App, lib app indicator over on Launchpad, on Ubuntu's very special project tracker. Lib app indicator. It makes sure your Plasma 5 systems tray is functional in GTK applications, or, or I should say it, it supports GTK applications. So if there's a GTK application that you want to send to your system tray, this this ensures that that, that functions correctly within KDE. And I guess that's the only thing that exists for that? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of... I'm legitimately surprised that that's... That, that, that wouldn't just be something already in Plasma. It, you know, already. Like, just from the KDE project, in other words. But it exists here, so I'm assuming that that's where it comes from. Which, tip of the hat? Thank you, Ubuntu. That's really, really great. Um, or maybe it's just yet another one. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just another lib app indicator. Maybe there's another thing within KDE that does the same thing, but this has a different interface, and the Ubuntu programmers are using it because they prefer it. I don't know. I don't know the story, but I appreciate it. I certainly do. I don't know, you know, how many KDE applications i use that use the system's just handbrake maybe maybe that does so that i might benefit from that although i haven't used handbrake in ages now uh yeah so i don't know i mean there there might be a gtk application out there firefox i use firefox does i don't think that uses the, yeah i don't know i don't know what gtk application uses my plasma systray but Lib app indicator makes sure that it can, and that is appreciated. LibArchive, that's a library to you know create and and read archives again from your C application. So if you're writing in C and you want to read in the, the the data of an archive or you want to create an archive, this is it. This is lib archive. It'll let you do that. And there's a bunch of formats supported. I'm not going to read them all, but from there, github.com slash lib archive page you got things like old version 7 tar archives posix us tar gnu tar including gnu long file names long link names and sparse files solaris 9 Extended TAR, POSIX PAX Interchange Format, POSIX Octet-Oriented CPIO, um, uh, anything else interesting? Zip, ZipX, GNU and BSD AR Archives, 7-Zip, Microsoft CAB Format, RAR, RAR5, LHALZA, XAR, and more. So, there's plenty there for people who need to look at an archive. And that's not it. That's not all. They've got test suite. They got a test suite. So if you go to their GitHub page, you can look at their test code and kind of get an idea of uh, of how to use this thing, which is always handy. Um, I think it's always difficult, you know, when picking up a library, to know what to do with it. You know, where where to even start? I mean, you know, you start with the documentation, that kind of thing. But sometimes it's just so much clearer to just see the code and, and, and get it. You just get it then, you know? Or, or you don't, but you might get a start, and then you can look at the docs, and, and maybe that'll clarify. So it does have a test suite. You can look at it. It's very nice. Next up is lib async ns. This is an asynchronous name query library. lib async ns is a C library for asynchronous name queries. It is an asynchronous wrapper around lib C's synchronous get get adder info API. As you might guess, this, because it uses the word name, this has everything to do with DNS, but it, it is quite quite small. Like, if you look at the package contents, uh, what was it, lib, uh, a, lib async in s, yeah. So if you look at the, um, at the, (laughs) the package, it, it is tiny. I mean, it's, it's, Potentially one of the one of the smallest ones we have seen with like all of uh, counting the documentation. There's probably about 10 lines here. And indeed the the include file, asyncns.h, and then there's a library. That's the package. If you were writing an application that needed to interact with the network, then this is one of the things that you might need to, to do to, to get DNS information. As Pat's description of it says, it does use other things. It uses the GNU git adder info underscore A library, it uses data from, or, or modules rather, from NSS, so it's not a, a completely, I guess, self-contained solution, but, but it is, um, it's available, you can interface with it through your C code, and it's probably, you know, it, Wrappers are—I don't want to go out on a limb here and and say a blanket statement—but a good wrapper is a is a very nice thing, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that that's why this is here because this wrapper is probably useful. I mean, it's been around since 2005, so I I'm imagining that someone is finding this useful. Okay, lib. ATA SMART. The lean, small, and clean implementation of an ATA, SMART, that is self-monitoring, analysis, and reporting technology, reading and parsing library. SMART is a system used by hard drives to monitor factors that may impact drive reliability in the hope of predicting drive failure before it occurs. I think more interestingly, more, most interesting about this project is the author's statement of why it exists. He he asks this question on his website: Why? Like the website from with the source code on. It. He says, Why? You might ask, what the point of all of this is when smart mon tools already exists? What I'd like to see on future Gnome desktop is that as soon as a disk starts to fail. A notification bubble pops up warning the user about this fact and suggesting that you make backups and replace, a, and replace the disk. For tight integration into a desktop, a smart implementation that is small and not C++, and a library that is embeddable into other software, is highly preferable. Also stuff like distribution installers should link against libata-smart, that's the name of this library again, to warn the user about old and defective disks before an installation even begins and then he specifically calls out anaconda developers hey anaconda developers the the anaconda is the um installer application from uh fedora hey anaconda developers that means you it's a tiny library all you need to do is a single call int sk underscore disk underscore smart underscore status parentheses sk disk asterisk d comma sk bull asterisk Good. Close parentheses. Semicolon. Close parentheses. So, wow, what a beautiful sort of uh, statement that is. I mean, this is class two again. So that was the the author of lib at a smart and. I mean, what a great idea. Like, yeah, let's have this thing be a library that can just be called in other software, applicable software, that can monitor the disk for you. Like, that just seems so obvious to me. Now, I don't, I'll admit, I I don't have... this is a very hard thing to diagnose too, right? Like, when do you have a bad hard drive? It's really hard to tell, and it, it, it feels, to me at least, like when a hard drive goes bad, it's too late. It just always seems to be too late. So I've never had a great experience with hard, strangely enough, with hard drive failure. Go figure. Hard drive failure, not a great experience. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, luckily, I, I feel like I got most of my hard drive failure trauma, knock on wood, kind of out of the way earlier in life. Like, I, I've I've been there, I've done that. I'm pretty hypersensitive to it now. I back stuff up, I make duplicate copies, I keep stuff on servers. I, I kind of, I, I have methods of mitigating expected loss. But would it be different if I had confidence in SMART? Possibly. I would like to have confidence in SMART to believe that smart is gonna warn me without me having to ask that my hard drive is is could fail within a couple of weeks like that would be great that would be fantastic i've never seen it though so i don't know if gnome just doesn't have it i don't know if kde just doesn't have it i mean, plasma desktop just doesn't have it like i don't know i don't i'm not sure but i would love to see that that i think that would be a real benefit to the user. Now I can imagine also, you know, getting annoyed at at, at, at a pop up. Everyone hates a notification, right? But I mean that's easily configurable. You can you could you could build into that notification, okay, I've seen this notification, never warn me again. And then you just don't do the pop up again. And I think that's okay. I, I don't know why you would ignore something like that, but I guess maybe if you see the notification on Monday, and you think, alright, it's expecting a, f- a drive failure sometime. Well, I've backed up recently, I'm just gonna keep using my computer anyway until the, my replacement drive arrives in the mail. Then, yeah, you would probably want to never see that notification again for the rest of the week, because you know that you're gonna get that replacement drive on Friday. But, I mean, yeah, this this is 100%, like, LibATA ATA Smart just seems like the obviously... Well, I don't know about Lib ATA Smart specifically, because I, I, I don't know anything about it. It really. Um, but to me, this seems like the correct, the correct, this is correct, right? Like, that, that seems really smart to me. Um, I would want that. A hundred percent. So, there's a couple of things here within the libata-smart package. ATA-smart package. And it sneaks up on you, it tries to hide, but they're in the S-bin. Folder. That's why they're not like where they usually are at the top. User user bin. Uh, it's it's way down, sort of after lib sixty four. So I I missed them the first couple of times and didn't even notice that they should be there until I read up about the project on the website, which listed those sk dump and sk test. So sk dump. I, I imagine I'll need sudo permissions? Maybe not. Okay. Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, so, sudo skdump, uh, let's just do a dash dash help first. This is essentially smart cuddle dash a. That's what this kind of mimics. skdump uh, dash dash help says that, uh, there are a couple of different options. Well, the, the syntax is sk dump and then whatever option, and then the device that you want to query. So, dash dash overall, show overall status, dash dash status, show smart status, dash dash can dash smart. Uh, that shows whether smart is supported, at least in theory. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, you can get the temperature in kelvins. That's interesting. Uh, you can save the output, you can power cycle things, and so on. So, um, let's, let's try one. Let's do a sudo skdump dash dash overall on slash dev, uh, sdc. It says it's good. That's all it says, it's just the word good. So I guess, I guess that's enough. Uh, you can get a lot more information than that. If you just do sudo skdump, no options, slash dev, slash, you know, whatever, sda, sdb, sdc, whatever. That that gives you a lot of of output. Uh, It it tells you the raw read error rate, the spin-up time, the start-stop count, reallocated sector count, seek error, and so on. So you really get kind of a, a, a look, in a way. I mean, whether it means anything to you or not is a completely different story, but... You do get a lot of data here and and I think I mean it, it vaguely looks to me like smart cuddle a for me I don't know I could be I could be misremembering uh, I guess I could just try <laughs> smart smart CTL pseudo smart CTL do I not have that installed surely I have that installed uh, it's successfully opened uh, dash a for smart information. I forgot the dash a okay yeah it looks it looks superficially like um like like that yeah it's basically the same thing cool all right so anyway sk dump uh, nothing gives you a bunch of data about the thing uh, it tells you the device the size the model number the serial n- number I guess the firmware the smart availability yes quirks awake yes smart disk health good yes. And so on. Alright, so let's try, I don't know, SDA? Oh, actually, I'm gonna go back to the short, <laughs> the shorter. Good. Okay, so, dump dash status shows good for that one. Um, now if I go over to, I think, SDE, it says, failed to get smart status. Now, SDE is a traditional, normal, I think. Actually, I need to do LS block to find out what SDE is. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big USB. Maybe I need to power it on. Let's try that. So, dump or sudo dump dash dash power dash on slash dev slash sde says it's not supported. So, uh, apparently, I would, I would argue, smart is not supported on this device. So, I'm going to do can dash smart on slash dev slash sde. And it says failed to query whether smart is available. Um, so, operation not supported. So, I, I guess that's a no, or is that a third state? A, a, you know, yes, no, fail? So, I'm not sure what that means. Maybe it means the drive is going bad. I don't know. I don't care. It's backed up in in, in total, but, uh, you know, whatever. Like, that could be a bad sign. And that's the kind of output that kind of isn't super useful, obviously, because it doesn't really tell me anything it 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 throws me into a kind of an unresolvable loop of you know this it could mean it's fine but that the device doesn't support smart or it could mean that everything's going horrible and the drive is falling apart as i speak i don't know that it failed i mean and i'm not saying that lib at a smart should be able to 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 deal with that because um i mean if it can't it can't right there's no there's no helping that. Um, that said though smart control a slash dev slash SDE returns a bunch of data uh, it says that the the drive, is there? It's uh, it's working. It's available. Uh, let's see. It's in the database. Um, what else? Smart support is enabled. Smart support is available. Uh, the s- uh, overall health self att- uh, assessment test result has passed. So it is. It's weird that libata smart doesn't appear to be able to to give the same information as smart control dash a. So not sure. Not sure what to think about this. I like the idea, and I like the goal, I'm just not 100% sure about, again, I mean, and, and this isn't, this isn't just Lib ATA smart, this is, this is smart and hard drives, it, the, the level of confidence that I have in, in how easy it is to check, how easy it is to integrate into a system so that I don't have to check, and whether I can trust the results, it just, it's not there still, and, and I don't know, you know, I mean, this is really, really hard stuff, and well beyond, Certainly my understanding. I mean, it's, it's amazing that such a concept even exists, you know, self, self self-tests and self-monitoring, predicting a failure, like, that just, it's fortune telling is it doesn't it doesn't make any sense so on the one hand you know like i mean ultimately i think yeah you, you the fact is you don't know like your hard drive could die any day so could you i mean sorry dear listener I, I didn't mean that as a threat i just meant like you know like life is uncertain right things can die um they can go bad they can just they can stop working and, and that sometimes happens to hard drives. So, back up. And if you want to use smart, if you want to use libata-smart or smart smartcontrol-a, do. Use those. Uh, do I wish that Linux desktops had more to say about that? Yeah, I think overall I do. I really do. I, I But, again, I do not know what that would look like. Because if, if, if Plasma Desktop were using and integrating libata-smart and I got a pop-up, that said, alert operation not permitted failed on dev SDE. I wouldn't know what to do about that. That would freak me out. I mean, maybe it would make me back up that drive. So maybe maybe we should just treat a fail as um, you know, kind of like there's a danger of warning about a hard drive. But then that would be weird if you had just bought that hard drive, brought it home, plugged it in, and, and you get a failure alert, you know, or or what would just read as a danger zone alert. Because that wouldn't make sense. Like I just bought this thing. So yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I I don't know the right answer to this. I do think that it's really important that that we make those tools available, and I I would love for them to be sort of front and center. Like, yeah, I would, I think, more than anything, I think I would. I would prefer if desktops, Linux desktops, were a little bit more opinionated. I, I actually don't even like that word for computers, but... I, I wish they had more to say, they were more verbose, about the state of hard drives. I think that would probably be... I think I would prefer that. I don't want to swear to that, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would be a bunch of nonsense data that would just confuse things. But I I don't know. Could we try it for like a year? And then turn it back off and see how we feel about it? I don't know. Um. Anyway, that's libata ATA Smart. It's, it's great. It's a cool project. I'm excited that it exists. I, I trust it as much as I trust Smart control, which I trust as much as I trust a hard drive, which I back up regularly. Go figure. Okay, let's do one more. Not for any good reason. Lib Blu-ray. Lib Blu-ray, open source library designed for Blu-ray discs. Playback for media, like VLC or player. I don't know how Blu-rays work. I don't know anything about them. I don't have a... Well, I guess I technically do have a Blu-ray um, player? I think PlayStation 3 had a Blu-ray. Did it? Maybe not. Maybe that was PlayStation 4. I don't know. Does anyone use Blu-rays anymore? Do people use DVDs anymore? I know, I've, I've asked this before. I jokingly say that nobody does, and then someone, quite rightly, emails me and says, uh, actually, I still use them. And you know what? I, personally, I still use them. I just bought some CDs the other day, like from a, like a little local vendor. They had local, some local bands that had CDs, and so I bought them. Um, so, it is, Yes, they are all still used. Blu-ray, however, I will say, I've never had ai never had a Blu-ray. Well, that's not true. I had a Blu-ray. I gave it away. But, I mean, I never had a Blu-ray player except the one that I have over in the other room. What I'm trying to say is I do not indulge in Blu-ray. By the time Blu-ray was was coming around, I, I basically had already sort of switched to just keeping digital files. So it didn't really affect me one way or the other. And I know Blu-ray is, like, super high-res and amazing. I don't care. There's I don't I don't care that much about about my screen is not a, a definition that would betray the 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 poor quality of of a DVD it, it's it's fine to me so I I mostly just I use digital files and Blu-ray uses digital files as well but you know what I mean. I have a file, a little icon on my desktop. I click it. It plays a movie for me. That's what I want. So Blu-ray never really excited me. This is Lib Blu-ray. If you use Blu-rays and you have a Blu-ray player for your computer, this library, this very library, could be the thing that you're using to watch that Blu-ray. What kind of encryption there is and whether this cracks it, I don't know. I've never used this thing. I don't know. I don't know how any anything about Blu-ray. But there you go. There's the library for it. Check it out. All right, that's it. That's everything. Uh, Let's end the show. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. And I shall follow the other one.